Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast, over and out. I feel like we should start by talking about your new book. Sure. The book, I believe, if I recall correctly, it's called What Do Men Want? Is that right? That's right. Could you tell me, in your own words, kind of like what is just the basic main idea? Sure. Okay. It's not finished yet. Uh, I'm not quite sure when it will be out. But um, so obviously, it's a version of Freud's question: What does what does woman want, or what do women want? Mm. And so it's kind of like a slightly jokey play on on his question. And 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 famously for Freud, the question is unanswerable. And so it's basically looking at, I guess, contemporary masculinity, various kind of manifestations. So like the manosphere, men's rights activism, uh, red pill discourse, um, also kind of various questions around um, pornography um, and also around kind of questions of violence and male violence towards women, but also male violence against other men. And also, uh, I guess, um, things like the male suicide rate, which is obviously very high. Um, it's the leading cause of death of men under 45 in this country, for example. Um, and try to sort of like do a snapshot of like where men are at and what men are talking about and also what men are talking about when they think women aren't looking, for example. Um, but really it's sort of like an optimistic book. It's not a, a kind of slamming of men. It's, it's, it's an attempt to think about, well, if, if masculinity is supposedly toxic today, as the discourse would have it, um, what are non-toxic forms of masculinity? Um, and yeah, I suppose, and to think, not in terms of a kind of either or, right? So the idea that if we somehow talk about how women are negatively affected, um, we're not also talking about how men are negatively affected by things, um, by patriarchy, for example, or, um, you know, that if we focus on men, we're not focusing on the other. If we focus on women, we're not focusing on men. Like the idea of a sort of zero-sum game, which I think a lot of the discussion today is, is like this. It's like, uh, oh, if one sex benefits, the other loses, um, and so on. And, and it's, it's to try to think beyond that and to think about how men and women sort of ought to care for one another. In fact, you know, that actually men and women already do get along, like most of the time or a lot of the time, you know, that, that there is, um, I don't know, a genuine love between men and women, whether it's a sexual love or a friendship love or, you know, I don't know, just a kind of casual everyday kind of getting along. And, you know, I think there's a kind of media discourse which often uh, plays up the division and hatred, you know, that says like that, you know, like the kill all men hashtag, for example, or I don't know, like these kind of ideas of of um, that the other sex is to blame for everything somehow, like that all of the ills in the world can be put at the feet of one sex or another. And obviously you have misogynist men at one end and you have kind of, you know, women who want to look for a someone to blame and blame men at the other and like so you know there's a kind of and there's an imbalance within that as well you know we can talk about you know historical asymmetries in the way in which like men and women have um 
you know, treated one another. And certainly, you know, we need to think about the kind of history of women's oppression, but then also think about the, you know, specific forms of like male suffering. And again, you know, these are not in opposition. I think you can have a feminist uh, approach that actually to also take seriously some of the the kind of uh, complaints uh, and worries and anxieties that men have and questions of like male depression are not in opposition to like a feminist analysis at all. So I'm trying to put all these things together. Um, and I want, I, I suppose, to defend particularly the idea that we can play different games with each other, that we can play better games, that this idea of a zero-sum game in which one wins, one loses, is a, a faulty model, is like a capitalist model, mm. is a, a model that actually doesn't like work, it doesn't suit us, it doesn't actually relate to how we might love our father or our brother or a friend. You know, we're not in competition right, with, with right. each other. But you would still describe this as a feminist project. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, yeah, it absolutely is. And I think there is a, a tradition of, of feminists writing about men. You know, Bell Hooks writes about men. There are kind of lots of books which which actually take seriously, like the question of, the you know, the imposition of gender roles, for example, how patriarchy hurts men as well as women. You know, I don't think they're incompatible. I think... Um, they never used to be seen as incompatible either. I think it's only recently that there's been this kind mm. of, you know, increasing division as if we're right. supposed to think. Right. So there's this increasingly vocal, I think you could say, wing of the feminist movement today that sees the kinds of angles that you're describing here as somehow intrinsically anti-feminist. Or, you know, people are quick to hear what you're saying and they might want to pigeonhole you as some kinds of some kind of a male apologist or even a men's rights activist yeah you know so what do you say to people who want to slot you in that way yeah i mean i think it's there's a general thing about this very black and white thinking you know as if if you yeah again it's a zero-sum game you know like if you if you say something positive about men therefore you must be saying something negative about women or your focus is not on women you know, and it, I mean, life is unfortunately much more complicated than a, you know, a Twitter denunciation, we might say, you know, or a simple kind of uh, yes or no, uh, you know, oh, now she's this, now she's that, you know. I think it's absolutely possible to be a feminist and to think about uh, what that means for men and, and, you know, to have a feminist analysis of men's uh, issues and men's questions. And I think actually it's not just possible, but it's like important. Can I ask you what, I'm just curious, what do you think about the men's rights activism movement? Well, I think, I mean, I think it has to be sort of looked at, you know, I think, you know, where there are forms of real resentment, where there are forms of real complaint you know, like, like with everything, like it's, it's better to understand where they're coming from rather than simply write people off. I mean, that would go for any political position, any political claim. And as you know, I'm like, I think everybody should be listening to everybody. Everybody should be speaking to everybody else. Everybody should be reading things, you know, especially the things that people, gatekeepers and priests tell you, you can't read and you can't speak to this person and you mustn't understand this as if they know somehow that you'll be affected or, or, you know, tainted by reading or speaking to these things. Right. So in that sense, I take some of the, the MRA uh, complaints at face value in a certain way and say, look, OK, they, they would su suggest that, you know, uh, men die in workplace accidents more than women. Men do certain forms of labor that women don't tend to do that, you know, um, yeah, the, the, the kind of suicide rate, the idea that men um, are sort of demonized for various modes of masculine behavior, for example, that men don't get custody of their children. I mean, there's like a movement like Fathers for Justice in this country that also makes this argument. And I mean, to, to not to go along with those necessarily, but to like look at the way in which those things are being posed, like those complaints, you know, and to see how they can be sort of understood and how like there can be more of a, 
I don't know, a balance and a response in, in terms of how we kind of proceed um, rather than just like writing uh, men off. You know, we have to say, you know, that there are forms of kind of male behaviour. Male behaviour tends towards the extremes, basically. You know, so where there is extreme behaviour, it will be men at the mm-hmm. end of it, mm-hmm. you know, at whatever kind of behaviour we're talking about. Um, so, you know, where we are looking at these extreme cases of kind of like incel rage or like men when they kind of act out and kind of, you know, in, in resentment, in revenge or supposed revenge, you know, kind of end up like murdering people and so on. Like we have to understand what that kind of like last man standing, like video game logic is like, Mm -hmm. what is it that, that compels that kind of, you know, that solitary, it's me against the world feeling, which I do think is a particular kind of like dominant masculinity today. So your take is kind of that the the liberation of women requires a true and accurate understanding of of what's really going on with men. What really, yeah. what, what really are they after? And that that would require on some basic level a certain amount of empathy just to be realistic about what's really going on there. Yes, I agree. And I think also, I mean, for the sake of both men and women, for for women, if they don't already know what these discussions about hypergamy and the red pill and and our friend Diana Fleischman is also working on this as well, like the red pill for women, like how, you know, (laughs) I mean, she's kind of maybe more extreme than me in some ways, but, you know, like what it is to actually you know, to understand, like, these kinds of discussions, because I think there are lots of discussions going on, let's say, about um, game playing, like, so, like, the idea of the game, the Neil Strauss, which has become, like, the pickup artist community, and, you know, like, so all of those kind of tactics have, like, evolved in a certain way, and I think lots of women don't know, necessarily, what what kind of tactics some of these men are using, or what they're they're saying, and, of course, often it's not very nice, Um, but I think having that kind of knowledge... Is would actually like lead to a kind of greater understanding right. of of the kind of pressures like on both sexes or felt pressures or assumed pressures, you know. And we have to say, okay, look, so you know, like patriarchy is bad for women and it's also bad for men, you know. Or the, our current understanding of what patriarchy is, in any case, you know, patriarchy in the Bible literally means like these kind of father figures who like look after and take care and have responsibility. And that's very much not what we mean by patriarchy today. And often that kind of word is invoked in a very like amorphous or ambivalent way, you know, like it's just, oh, this is a structure of society. Uh, we're not sure if, indi- you know, perhaps individual men reproduce patriarchy in their behavior, like through mansplaining or manspreading all of these things that we are, you know, uh, angry about that men do or men are socialized to do. Um, but there is a kind of question about, well, how does the patriarchy reproduce itself, actually? Like, how does it, like, operate on a daily level? You know, is it automatic that men have status and power? And then, in, this, in a sense, the question becomes, what kind of status and power do they have? And, and do we want that? I mean, is that the kind of thing that actually people want? Do people want just to get richer or to, like, have a position at the head of a company or something like that? Like, actually, aren't there much more fun games and ways of being together that aren't about chasing these kind of status rewards right. where the where the idea of the zero sum game does come into play so it's like well if i'm the ceo you know uh you're not the ceo you right. know um i think a lot of people who would want to critique what you're saying might say something to the effect that you can't really reason with patriarchy it's a kind of structure that is above and beyond our kind of capacity for for rational manipulation and that the only way to really foster the the true equality of, of of men and women or the liberation of women is by a kind of militancy that that sort of necessarily has to kind of go to war in some sense with 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 the structures 
that that exist in some sense you know when you because everything you're saying to me sounds quite <laughs> reasonable uh, right um it's hard i'm hard pressed to find anything particularly controversial so i'm kind of trying to uh dig as deep as i can to, to put myself into the shoes of people who um find this perspective you're putting forward to be somehow controversial or somehow capitulating i mean how do you parse that like what do you what do you think yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I think if you go to war with structures, I mean, fine, but you have to work out where they are first. Mm. You know, I mean, you have to locate your enemy. You can't just say, like, we're at war with patriarchy, but then be like, well, where is it exactly? Mm. Like, it, you know, that's the question about is it located in individual bodies? You know, is there a group of men called the patriarchs who own everything or, you know, right. or, or decide to control women in a certain way? Like, it, it's a very complicated question, and I think... You know, like, it's very easy, and, like, I've done this before, you know, to simply say, oh, well, like, everything is capitalism's fault, as if capitalism, like, you sort of, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't know, create, reify, you kind of create an object, you said, there's a thing called Sorry. X, and as opposed to thinking about it as a set of relations or processes. Right. So if we think of patriarchy as maybe, like, a set of relations or processes, you know, that may or may not be replicated in particular relations or gestures or everyday behaviours but then also might be a kind of historical structure as well. I mean, you know, there's this kind of question about agriculture, if you want to go back that far, you know, and when when human beings move from being kind of nomadic to being more, like, settled, you know, then gender roles start to become perhaps less equal, whereas before you actually have a form of relative equality of a different kind, mm -hmm. you know. And, and then I guess it's like the terms of equality, like, do we want to compete on the same terrain? Like, are mm -hmm. we competing for the same things? Mm -hmm. You know, as a liberal feminist might say, yes, of course, you know, it's about... The emancipation of women is about the in inclusion of women into political structures, into economic structures, mm -hmm. you know, and and that's what equality is. And right. I suppose I'm much more interested in like a kind of like, yeah, psychedelic, cosmic, like relating of men and women that like has nothing to do with like the rewards of like this plane, like this, that's this, beautiful. That's this, beautiful. this world, <laughs> like in that sense, you know I what I mean? That. Like I there, yeah. there are these other, so, so it's a, a kind of critique of the sort of games that are proposed both for men and for women, and also to let women know what men are saying about them. Mm. Um, and then also to sort of think about, yeah, like forms of friendship, forms of relating, you know, yeah, that don't seem to operate in this logic, like this logic mm. of, yeah, if you win, I lose. Um, but they're actually like mutually fun and benefic beneficial and pleasant and, yeah. Now, I have a question. Were you surprised when you got all of this kind of backlash to these ideas, which, as I said before really don't sound very controversial. I'm, it's like hard to find in what you're saying anything especially controversial. So I'm just curious, were you surprised personally when you got this kind of backlash? Um, no, I, I guess not in a way. I mean, there's lots of things going on. I mean, I suppose in a sense we didn't kind of go through some of this stuff in that much detail in the talk. It was, off, it was you know, maybe mm -hmm. mainly focusing on like the kind of, you know, men's problems of being overlooked side. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't necessarily that balanced a discussion okay. in the other um, thing we did. But I mean, yeah, in terms of reaction... Well, it's kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, it's just sort of like, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what to say really about it. I mean, there's this open letter that like no one really knows who wrote it. We have some suspicions. It certainly wasn't me or Daniel um, for the record. Um, you know, it's generated like vast amounts of confusion. I think there's a lot of, it's very easy to say like four letter words, like four letter words are just like bad magic. You can say them with somebody, right? So you can just repeat like she's a tough or whatever, like, linked to no evidence whatsoever, that's fine, it's Twitter, apparently you don't need any, and, or Nazi, or, or Fash, or whatever. Um, and a lot of these people who are throwing out these words are explicitly saying in their tweets, 
that they're not even bothering to look at the video or to, to listen to it. Right. It's quite funny, isn't it? They're, yeah. they're kind of outing themselves as not paying any attention to what the content yeah. of the issue is. Yeah, and I mean, it's much easier to do that, isn't it? I mean, again, it's like this very simple thing. It's like, well, I heard a rumour that Nina once said something terrible, therefore she is X. And it's easier because then it's like, well, we don't have to think about her. I mean, that's the other thing, though. Like, if you don't want to think about some somebody, just don't talk about them. <laughs> I mean, like, just don't mention them. <laughs> don't watch the videos. Don't write about them. Like, you know, it's, it's sort of a bit weird. It does generate a sort of slightly strange, like, ego relation to the world when people are saying all these things about you because... It's like, well, if, you know, if you think that, I guess maybe you're, you think you're warning other people or you're like, you're sending out a signal to your friends to say, look, I agree that, you know, this person is, you know, irreparable or mentally ill, which is a very nice uh, accusation that's being uh, thrown around by people who would otherwise, I think, um, uh, be very against, uh, you know, using mental illness as a stick to beat people with, you know, that actually this sort of... Um, stigmatizing mental illness is like something that's not very cool to do and mm -hmm. yet sort of there's at least one popular tweet that where someone was implying that I was ill um and I think I mean really obviously a lot of it is about um, perceived association so obviously Daniel was on the video and the idea is that um oh because he's persona non grata for counter protesting the protesters who wanted to shut down LD50 even though that's like a free speech or, you know, a freedom of speech act, it's like, uh, or, you know, just whatever you want to say, you might not agree with the act at all, but, you know, it doesn't make him a Nazi. But of course, you know, like these worlds are very fragile. They're held together by cobwebs and, it, you know, they need scapegoats. I mean, if you read René Girard and like this whole logic of in-group and out-group, you know, like these groups are often held together you know, whatever we're talking about, the art world or a particular kind of strange, moralistic, authoritarian group of people uh, who, who actually, by the way, bear no relation to the left as I knew it, the left that I grew up in, the left that I still know, like comrades and, and friends who are Marx, Marxists and communists. I don't know if these people are like communists or Marxists. They certainly don't resemble like p friends of mine who are like genuine you know, materialist thinkers who are trying to, you know, think about the economy, to think about class, to think about how the world works from the perspective of, you know, um, I don't know, class struggle and antagonism. Like, it, it's not that kind of discourse. It's something else. It's it's a kind of, you know, you're either with us or you're against us. And once we've decided that you, you are this four-letter word, then you are, you know, but, but sometimes you need to be punished again or something. You're right. brought back in. And I think Daniel got this for years, you know, for two years at least. Right. You know. But and... what I think is kind of interesting and, and a bit strange is they talk as if you just can't uh, respond immediately in your own words. You know, it's like they have this kind of image of the of the political game where it's like they can just say whatever falsehoods they want and spread them. And, and you're supposed to just kind of like, uh, you know, disappear into the shadows and allow these kind of like obvious lies and stupidities to spread like it's it's like they don't realize you can just fire up a video camera and say the truth of what you think yeah. at any time and that actually more people are going to be interested in that than the number of people that are interested in like bullshit tweets well they might not be to be honest i mean they might it might be easier just for people of course to go okay right i can write this person off i don't need to listen to anything they say or think about them ever again mm. i mean that's also an easy response and I wouldn't blame people either. I mean, like, you know, there are lots of people in the world you can read and listen to. You know, if you don't want to listen to me, it's totally cool. I'm very happy with that. <laughs> sure. Um, 
I would, you know, in some ways, like not like to be the object of discussion in this way. I would rather talk about the things that we were discussing and respond. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to respond to like criticism. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, perhaps talking about nature, you know, in this way. I mean, you know, perhaps there are some reactionary dimensions to it, for example. We can talk about that. But um yeah, no, no. I mean, I think, yeah, the instant response thing. I mean, I'm not on Twitter, so it's like, you know, like as myself. So I can't go on there and sort of defend myself or whatever. But would I even want to? And I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's not clear. There's also this kind of logic, I suppose, that even if you say sorry or even if you like try and clarify, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to yeah. say sorry, by the way, but like because I haven't done anything wrong. But, um, you know, that, that it won't matter because, you know, the apology will just like... Right. Like, it'll, it'll make it worse somehow. Yeah, And, yeah. like, this is how it works. I don't know why. Yeah, I just... It was just a passing comment to say, I think it's just funny how these people will spread obvious falsehoods. Yeah, right. And in public, and they act as if the people they're smearing can't just set the record straight themselves as we're doing now, as anyone can do. And I think, I think people are getting surprised by this because there was a period kind of on the left for a few years where these types of accusations and this kind of witch hunting would kick off and then the people who are being targeted would kind of fall back into mm. the shadows and depression and, and, and fear and anxiety. And there were a lot of cases like that. I think you, I'm sure you know of cases. Yeah, yeah, and, for sure. Um, I know of many cases. And no one hears about those cases because those people were kind of defeated by the witch hunts. Um, but now I think the tide is kind of turning in a weird way where it's like people kind of have been watching what's going on and people aren't willing to really submit to that anymore. And so now people are more and more likely to kind of just do what we're doing, which is nothing even too orchestrated. You know, all we're doing is hanging out and, you know, we, we think things and we speak things and it's fun to, you know, as writers and thinkers or whatever, it's just natural and, and fun and easy to uh, record them on paper or on video or audio or whatever. It's not like we're not doing any kind of orchestrated campaign. We're just thinking and hanging out. And it's just funny to kind of note how I think this kind of stuff is becoming more common. And I think that these witch hunts are my senses personally. I, I wonder if you agree or disagree that they're, uh, that they're going to have to kind of peter out sooner or later. I think as people yeah. kind of realize that they don't have to submit to this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, I think there is something very weird and like too fast about this kind of thing. And it's like, it's not really based on any sort of nuanced understanding of human beings, like, you know, that, that they maybe hold like multiple views about different things. And they're also <laughs> open to dialogue and, yeah. you know, that actually you can be friends with people you disagree with, for example. And, you know, that actually people who you might want to remove from your, you know, from your vision or your scene, like they don't just disappear. Like, right. you know, what is that, what is that action, that kind of shunning? And, 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 and Sarah Shulman talks about this in her work as well. You know, this act of social shunning where, where it's this, you know, like somehow you're asking someone to disappear, you know, because they've, they've been me too'd or because they've been accused of holding a position that you don't agree with or not, not even clear. I mean, there doesn't even have to be any detail. Like somehow this person just needs to be excommunicated from, you know, your church or whatever. And then, and then the, maybe the hope is that they just don't come back or you never see them again. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, but, but like on the question of friendship, I mean, it seems to me that if you think, if someone is accused of something or if they're in trouble, that's when you're more friends with them. Mm. Not, that's not the point at which you say, Oh, you're not my friend anymore. Like it was fun when you were cool and hip and had some money and, you know, everyone loved you. Um, but now you've been like attacked. Um, 
I'm going to cut you off and like we're going to do it publicly you know and this happened to lots of people I mean it happened to like Sam Chris and me too for example and that's absolutely brutal you know and to, to like various men and also to like various women who've been like critical about gender and you know and it's it's very weird I mean it's like you know or like you know I'm being attacked for going on the show with Daniel or for apparently saying things that are I mean, the, the the letter is too crazy to even respond to on the points, but this idea that somehow, like, a hand gesture was some relation to a Turkish fascist group or something, <laughs> and or that, that I was referencing some order of nine angels or angles or something. I don't even know what it is. I, have, I meant to look it up. Um, but, you know, that there's somehow there's some, like, crypto thing going on. And obviously people are, like, with the letter, like, is this real or not? Mm. You know, because it's so parodic. It's so extreme that it it could be a hoax... Or it could just be someone who's sort of so reading in such a like paranoid way that like everything becomes a sort of hidden fascist thing. You know, that seems to be the message. And, you know, it's kind of misrepresenting arguments. It's kind of, yeah. And and I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like what I was trying to defend really in a sense was a sort of freedom, you know, like and perform a freedom of association. You know, like we can choose who to be friends with. We can be friends with people we disagree with politically. And in fact, it's it's healthy to be friends with people we disagree with. You know, I mean, if you think about people's parents, I mean, lots of people have different politics than their parents, you know, and, and we go home and we talk to them and, you know, like we have a discussion with them and maybe we, we try to get them to see a different point of view or something like this. But the idea that you just cut off people who who, you know, maybe have a question or, you know, don't agree with you on everything. I mean, just seems such a sort of narrow way of seeing the world and such a such a boring one. There is some there is something kind of so unreal, like virtual, literally, about sort of online life and you know, I mean I guess just personally having spent so much time outside and like recovering from being so ill and, and you know, realising, I suppose, just very simply, like the simple things in life, you know, like how beautiful it is to see like a bird fly and you know, I don't know, to be outside, to enjoy the sun and I don't know, like the these things, you know, are actually like a revelation about beauty and about the world and about one's place in the world in a certain way that's very different from a kind of this sort of, yeah, I don't know, dreary, modern capture, like, you mm. know, and I think there is a kind of question someone raised on Twitter, the uh, the only probably interesting question, which was like, aren't there actually some reactionary elements to what I'm saying? Like, it's like almost like a Heideggerian thing in mm. some ways, right? That, that that my critique of like technology in the modern world, in a certain way, you know, the celebration of paganism. By the way, I just want to clarify, like, I, I don't uh, think that we should engage in human sacrifice today um, in any way. Uh, I think that was really referring to, like, prehistory and evidence of human sacrifice and, you know, the Aztecs and then uh, elsewhere. But but in any case, it's, it's something interesting to think about, anthropologically, for sure. Um, but, you know, perhaps not, not to, like, actually do. Um, if the sacrificial just, victim was... A volunteer. Yeah, I would consider the ethics to be at least debatable. This is Bataille's <laughs> question. <That's right. laughs> yeah. I mean, and like Bataille is very interesting. I mean, for thinking about the left sacred and you know, like that kind of question: Can you sort of resacralize the world? I mean, yeah, this has all been discussed before. Mm-hmm. This is not new. Any of this, really. not to mention, there's obviously a long-standing and vibrant tradition of drawing on the relationship with nature as a crucial resource in left-wing emancipatory liberation struggles of all kinds yeah right? so i mean of course sort of obvious yeah i mean what are you going to do i mean like none of us would exist without the sun i mean we'd all like not not exist without nature i mean it's you know we are part of nature and also the relationship to the land as yeah. a 
kind of emotional and community resource that really powers a lot of the most powerful and significant forms of resistance to kind of capitalism or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And like there are you know it's very complicated thinking about kind of ecology and politics. But yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, this idea of um that you know the left shouldn't mention land or soil because these have been captured right. by nationalist projects. You know, that lead that concedes too much ground, literally concedes the ground to the right. You know, as if and, we can't but, talk about mm-hmm. specific relations to so you know like of course we can and this new film a recent film arcadia is very interesting on this point which is a kind of anti-capitalist left film but it's about folk traditions it's about the Mm -hmm. land you know it's paul wright to sort of documentary using found Mm -hmm. footage um and the like these sorts of things seem to be like and and mark's work in acid communism was really about this as well Mm -hmm. you know and 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 we have to like it seems vital in like the age of like total ecological destruction environmental destruction to think about that you know the land we can't just say you know oh some nationalists talk about the land therefore we can't talk about it oh by the way on the not being a nazi front i just want to clarify uh, i like really hate the state i'm anti-authoritarian which includes people telling other people and dictating what what they can and can't read what they can and can't think about and who they can and can't see or speak to um so not a Nazi in any of those sense. I'm very against war, for example. I have no military uh, desires whatsoever, other than to maybe, you know, conquer the, the troubles of one's own heart or something. <laughs> but, you know, this is... <laughs> you know, I, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just want people to feel free. I want them not to feel afraid. I want them to be able to speak honestly and freely. And we've had some really interesting conversations about honesty, you know, and like lots of people we're speaking to these days are very interested in this idea of radical honesty. And what does it mean to, you know, to speak freely, to not feel afraid, to not feel anxious all the time, you know, and for a long time, I really did feel like this. I felt very, very anxious, you know, partly because of the addiction problem and, but also just this like fear of, you know, saying the wrong thing or, you know, having such fragile relationships with people that you feel guilty and you, I don't know, you you sort of, and then the loudest people are the ones who kind of grab your attention and sort of take your money and, you know, like uh, sort of dominate you in a certain Mm. way. And and I think a lot of people are in that feeling maybe anxious and weak, Mm. you know, that they they don't know what to think. And then you have people telling you what to think, but but Mm. they're just people too. I mean, who are these people telling you what to think? I I want to take a stab at kind of without necessarily totalizing your, you know, interesting and nuanced perspective. <laughs> I want to take a stab at bouncing back at you a kind of yeah, do uh, summary, if you will, of, of the different strands that you're laying out here, because it seems to me like the, the kind of vision that you're sketching is something like a true radical politics is one in which um, a relationship to the truth, which could be understood as, the people that are actually around you, that your mm-hmm. true relationships, but also the truth of the, of the environment, the material environment and the natural environment to kind of prioritize the, the immediate truths around you, the truths of friendship, the truths yeah, yeah. of the environment and that kind of a kind of radical commitment to those truths coming first and kind of allowing everything else to be subordinated to, to those immediate truths seems to be the kind of, uh, message I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting from you because when you do that, you, it's like a totally different way of living in some sense. It's yeah. a totally different way of organizing your relationships. It's a totally different way of moving through the world. And it resonates with me a lot. And, and it's very similar to a lot of things I've been kind of saying and putting out recently. And one of the things 
one of the things that I've really felt or seen about this is that when you organize your priorities in this way, a lot of interesting and positive effects happen. One, you become much harder to kind of manipulate mm-hmm. and, and dominate, really. Like, you become much more intransi- intransigent towards kind of bullshit, oppressive forces that kind of characterize most, you know, everyday lives, my, ourselves included. But you, you just become less compliant, in a sense. You become less, less governable. Yeah. And that's intrinsically kind of um, uh, rebellious or resistant to precisely that which most of us uh, abhor and, and, and despise and at least nominally are trying to, you know, protest against or, or resist against. And so, uh, yeah, does that resonate with you? Yeah, completely. I mean, I agree. I, th- I think this feeling of, like, being in the present, having, like, an intense and, and, and like, direct feeling about what's happening like to understand how one feels in the moment and to 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 recognize whether one is like feeling in balance or off balance or something like this or like yeah I mean to sort of um to understand what's happening to like to almost to have um to know your own mind is something I've been thinking a lot about and like thinking about philosophy as self-defense you know what does it mean to actually be secure in what you think even if what you think is incomplete so or 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 if what you think is a question you know, so it's not like knowing mm-hmm. the truth is like, here is a block of things that I know for That's sure. Right. It's not like, here's a set of facts. It might be like, um, I don't know, being able to combine and recombine multiple different approaches to reality at once. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, can I see this conversation from your perspective at the same time as thinking about it from mine? Like, yes, in a way, I can, you know, I can imagine what it's like. And, and this is a form of kind of um, power, it seems to me, like, a, but a very like... Uh, a sort of beautiful one, you know, not an aggressive one at all, right. but like an empathetic one, a kind of uh, immediate one, a one that's in the moment, a one that isn't anxious. Because anxiety right. is like this, you know, literally this feeling of constriction where you can't breathe, you know, where you can't think because you can't, you, you know, because you're confused and actually you're not sort of like letting things happen. You're worried about right. what might happen, right. but you're always in the moment. So whatever's happening is happening. Right. You know, and, and, and that doesn't mean going along with everything. If anything, it means actually having a sort of principle of like discernment and discrimination about what's happening and saying, you know, like this thing that's happening is not okay. Or, you know, the state is behaving in this way or like I can see things, right. you know, in all these different ways at once. Right. I think something else that people really underestimate about the perspective you're putting forward is the way that it very naturally tends toward a different kind of community. Yeah. That is just far superior than the typical ways of kind of forcing uh, kind of fake communities that, that we have today. It's like if you live according to the kind of style of life, or, you know, to use a Foucauldian phrase, the kind of aesthetics of existence that you're mm. kind of representing here, you're, you're not just the relationships in your own life start to change in, in a way that's fundamentally political, but you become open and available to other relationships and then networks of relationships. And when you think about that in the context of, of the, the, the digital age, mm-hmm you suddenly start to see that if you actually get your orientation right around, you know, your relationship to the truth or to the environment or whatever it might be, all of a sudden there can be these kind of nonlinear exponential takeoff effects in terms of social network dynamics. So new, new communities, when new communities emerge around the truth. And again, that's not an arrogant sense of the truth. Like some group has the truth, but more just a kind of intimate, honest awareness, even of one's own uncertainties and and ignorances. When you actually organize, when, when communities emerge organically around a correct relationship to the truth, suddenly that's a game changer for actually rethinking 
all kinds of prospects for mm-hmm. a genuine emancipatory politics that really could take over the world, that really could change the world. All of a sudden, it becomes possible to to reconceive aggressive, significant, ambitious, large-scale kind of, uh, you know, institutional change, but only if you get that the, the basics and the fundamentals of, of individuals' uh, relationship to the truth, relationship to their friends, and relationship to the environment right. It's like if you don't get those crucial variables right, and you try to force a community of progress mm-hmm. or change or whatever, then you get what is the current kind of face of the left, which is like all of these like people who are basically just like liars and fakers and resentful and sad and angry and basically trying to shut down life wherever they see it. Mm-hmm. It's like these are two fundamentally different modes of doing politics. And I think the the one the latter one there I just described is obviously failing and it's obviously just, just kind of horrific, I think, to any honest person, you know, mm-hmm. paying attention. And, uh, yeah, my sense is that the, the, the one you're kind of sketching, uh, there's still so much to be figured out about it. And, it, and, and it's still not uh, nearly common enough for people to be thinking along the lines you're thinking, but in, in this tradition of kind of radical emancipatory politics. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I don't know about the kind of ambitions and obviously you have a different relation to technology, maybe, mm. you know, I mean, obviously it's like a bit ironic we're like filming this to go online, but yeah, I mean, I might want to spend more time in nature in a, you know, egalitarian <laughs> communist way. Um, but I, yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally think that. And I, I think overcoming, being able to overcome anxiety to actually have honest conversations with everyone you meet. And that could be like someone, you know, in in the street, it could be anyone. It could, to have to be open actually, and to not be afraid, you know, but also to be able to admit mistakes. You know, everybody's made mistakes. I made terrible mistakes when I was drinking. I mean, I, I was crazy. I mean, I, you know, I, I did things I don't remember. I said terrible things. I, you know, was blackout drunk. I, you know, like, I offended people, I upset people, you know, like, and I admit that I, I really, really do. And, you know, I, I don't feel great about it. Of course, it's, it's not, it's not good that this was the situation. And I would like to apologize to anyone personally. I'm very happy to be messaged and I will talk to anyone who I've upset in the past for sure. I mean, I, I mean that seriously. And, you know, but actually to have gone through that ordeal, whatever that was about, you know, like, you know, it's a big question. Why, why do people get hung up on things? And, but, you know, and there were lots of terrible things going on. I mean, we were up against the state, you know, with Alfie's trials for years and, you know, it was just a sort of trying to cope with that or whatever, partly and, you know. But, yeah, no, 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 I think, I think like, to confront those things, to have to confront, like, those things about yourself, actually, like, to look at yourself honestly and say, you know, I've done terrible things, I've done bad things, I've done things I feel so awful about and I've I've hurt people and I've upset people, but everybody has done something like that, you know. And we can't proceed, like, together as men and women, as people, if we don't allow for the possibility of making mistakes and also about rectifying mistakes, you know, insofar as it's possible. That would that would involve, like, a non- acknowledging harm, you know, but then not punishing people forever and not punishing them excessively or, or saying we can never speak to this person again or, you know, and who is the we in that anyway? And, you know, so I think after Me Too, for example, like, I think there is this kind of reckoning, like, but, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, some of those harms you know needed to be acknowledged you know I mean I spoke to one person privately about harm that had you know been caused and actually it was deeply cathartic and it was a very important thing to do I'm not saying everybody can do that that might not be possible it may not you may not be able to do that um you know but rather than put this person's name online or something like this and you know 
obviously you're putting people's names online and saying this person is a Nazi or a turf or an abuser or whatever. You know, it's a powerful thing to do. If you, if you use someone's name, it's like a weapon or it's a talisman or something, you know, and it circulates, it becomes currency. But, you know, that's, that's the world that, you know, this very thin sliver of the world that exists and it's very easy and very binary. And I think that's, so yeah, again, this sort of binary thinking is partly, is very encouraged by social media. There's no nuance about our own character. Like, so the idea that we can say, look, you know, I have done terrible things. I, I've messed up. Um, you know, I, I had problems, you know, um, and everybody is capable of, of violence. Everybody is capable of failure, everyone, you know, of making mistakes. And to be honest about that with oneself and with other people. Yeah. I mean, it's an enormously, it's unbelievable. It's, it is freedom. It is really genuinely like a form of freedom. And that doesn't mean anything goes. It doesn't mean I can say anything to you uh, and think it's okay. Of course, I'm, I wouldn't do that anyway, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's not like, if you get rid of these prohibitions um, and you uh, stop people feel anxious all the time and you confront your own flaws and failings, that somehow it's this kind of everyone will start saying horrible, terrible things. No. In fact, you become much more careful because mm. you're thinking all the time, actually, in this very delicate and gentle way in a, a sort of a way. How do you kind of maximize people, people's freedom and their pleasure and their happiness together and right. it's a very gentle process, actually, and a very kind and thoughtful one. Right, and you're not so defensive. No. Because you're not afraid. Uh, you're not afraid. No, I'm Some, not afraid of anything. Some, like, I've got nothing to lose at this point. I don't feel afraid. If, like, people go for my jobs, if people go for me, if people attack me, like, it doesn't matter to me. I feel like I'm so happy just to, like, be alive and, like, <laughs> like enjoy things. That's so amazing. It's That's true. so amazing. But that, but that, but that is a, a perfect illustration of that other side. Yeah. That, that you access only when you really make that commitment to kind of going all in on the truth, as it were, not to sound too grandiose, but that, that is really kind of what happens. It's like you, it's this weird kind of portal to another life in some sense yeah. when one kind of makes this unconditional, non-instrumental commitment to just being honest and just following the truth where, wherever it leads. If you really go all in on that, there's a fundamental kind of qualitative change that happens in, 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 in your life and your experience of the life. It, it's like you, you pop out the other side into this other kind of life. Yeah. And I think you're such an amazing kind of uh, dramatization <laughs> of, of that, your story. Well, and, it's exit. You know. I mean, everybody's looking for an exit actually. And like, and you know, I'm not saying that you can force it or the outside or, you know, there is something like that, that, you know, it's not just that there has to be, it's that there is an exit. Like there is a way out of, like misery there is there is a way of like conceiving freedom of living differently you know I would never have believed it you know I would never have thought you know I would have been like I don't know sardonic cynical like um dismissive you know like th- and think that was the clever position you know and think oh that's you know of course my gosh you know of course I'm critical I understand everything's doomed or like miserable but like it's just, you know, that's actually total defense. That's, that's like keeping yourself trapped, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm very interested in like liberation and freedom. Like what does it mean to feel free, to make other people feel free, you know, to discuss difficult things all the time, you know, yeah. to have conversations that, that, you know, yeah, just for the sake of them and to, to, to understand better. And yeah, yeah we're saying the same stuff. That was yeah. so amazing. I think, that, <laughs> I think that was all just really great. And I think that's about as good a way to wrap it up as, as I can imagine. Yeah. So, unless you have any final words. You're no, I just want to say it's been, awesome. it's been so nice to have you and Aria stay and um, like to talk to you. Wow. And I like wish you both the best. Thank you so much. It's <laughs> been so fun. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. 
If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe. And it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.